So uh, we've been in a teaching series uh, called Spirit Born. That's what Jesus tells uh, uh, the, the chief priest Nicodemus. Jesus tells him, he says, unless you're born both of flesh and the spirit, he said, he said, not only will you not enter the kingdom of God, it, it, will, it will almost be a mirage to you. You won't, you won't even be aware of it. And Nicodemus asked that, that, uh, that totally like TMI question. And he says, how can an old man like me climb back up inside my mom? And Jesus said, look, you don't understand this thing. But you have to be born of the Spirit. So today I want to continue this Spirit-born teaching series, uh, which is a little bit mysterious. Jesus says it's a little bit like chasing the wind. And uh, I want to look at a text uh, we've been looking at in in 1 Corinthians specifically kind of as a a grounding place as as we talk about this mysterious spirit at work. And actually, I'm going to ask AC to come up. And uh, today we're going to have an extended uh, reading straight from Scripture. So uh, uh, maybe not something we do all the time. But if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I asked uh, AC to read for me. She's going to read about 25 verses. So I need you to get comfortable. I didn't say fall asleep. I need you to get comfortable. And I want you to listen to these words. Uh, I will tell you I have never heard a sermon on this text. And I've never preached a sermon on this text. But what I want you to hear is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And he is talking to them about moments just like this. He is talking to them about spirit-filled church meetings or worship services together. And he has some really specific instructions about how the spirit is going to move in their time together. All right, so you've got your Bibles open. Are you, are you feeling comfortable? All right, let me say a prayer for us, and then uh, uh, as I'm praying, I would just say how you can uh, physically but, but internally position yourself to receive this word from God. Can you do that? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for, for your word. We thank you for its power, uh, for the way it, it shapes us and convicts us, but also strengthens and comforts and challenges us. So Father God, we ask today, that in these next few moments, your word would ring true in us. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And that the, the power of your breath, of the sacred wind, of the power of your spirit would move us and compel us. Father God, we love you. Bless us now as we receive this word from you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone. So how many of you have uh, 1 Corinthians 14 memorized? You think about this text all the time when you come to worship, right, on a a Sunday morning. Uh, I told my dad, uh, who's been a minister in the Church of Christ forever, I said, Dad, I'm I'm preaching on 1 Corinthians 14. And he said, you're not too bright. (laughs) Well, he knows, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough text. Paul is speaking to a church about 
the corporate nature of their church, their meeting times together, and, and really about the spirit-filled times, which the Corinthian church is overflowing with the spirit. Next week, we'll talk more about how Paul is like advocating, okay, that's great that the spirit is overflowing in your time together, but it's okay to have some order to these things too. But specifically, Paul compares two separate spiritual gifts that, that are coming out in the meeting time just like this. Uh, let's talk about the harder one first. Speaking in tongues. Any of you have any experience with this? Any of you from a tradition or, or uh, we, we've, one of the things I love about Aspen Grove, we're all kind from, uh, we're, we're all from different teams, but on the same team. It's, it's kind of interesting. Anyone have, uh, have any experience with speaking in tongues? I, I think it's, it's what happens before you have coffee in the morning, maybe. No, I mean, absolutely. Some of us, some of us have experienced this thing for sure. Paul tells us, like, uh, when you speak in tongues in this way, he says in verse 2, he says, you'll be talking only to God. He, he says it's, it's mysterious you, that you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit. Um, in some examples, when the Spirit comes, uh, it's, uh, uh, we know at Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, they're speaking in tongues, but they're speaking in different languages. Like in the people of the city, they rush to the, they rush to the house and they hear their own language. But apparently there's this, this whole other voice, too, that speaks just between you and God. And this gift of speaking in tongues to the Corinthians is an incredibly valuable, normal I need to reemphasize that normal part of their worship experience together. The Corinthians highly prized this gift. They were anxious maybe to get the gift of speaking in tongues above other gifts. But I know Gary talked last week about that desire. Like we always would rather have a different, I would rather have Tony's gift than my gift. You know, like, but, but every gift is important and necessary. Speaking in tongues was a normal part of worship. And uh, Paul in verse 18, if, if that doesn't uh, uh, drop a bombshell on you, Paul drops the bombshell on, on all of us. In verse 18, he says, and I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. So maybe if some of you are looking down on speaking in tongues, think about what Paul said. Paul said, this is a normal part of my my spirit-filled life. This is what it looks like to be born of the Spirit. And he even wishes the ability to speak in tongues for everyone, if you look closely. He says, I wish all of you could speak in tongues, not just when you're mad at your kids. But there's a problem with speaking in tongues. Can you guess what it is? <laughs> in, ver in verse 23, I love what he says. Uh, he says, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unloan, unloan, unknown language, they will think you are what? I think that's pretty fair, right? <laughs> that's pretty fair. If they come in and, and they hear you 
speaking and they don't understand, they're just going to think that that you're crazy. You're a madman, which is a word that word crazy is actually the word lots of people use for Jesus. So speaking in tongues is really like one half of a spiritual gift. He says in verse 13, he says, so anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said, right? So like this piece is, it's great that you're speaking in tongues, but, but you need to have this other piece too. Uh, you know, as great and admirable as speaking in tongues is, without the ability to interpret, and Paul does this a lot with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, to test the Spirit. And, and I highly encourage you to do it. And, and specifically, speaking in tongues uh, without the ability to interpret those tongues really strips the Spirit from its core purpose. Think about that. Think about that. Sure, maybe it's a benefit to you, but the core purpose of the Holy Spirit is the benefit of others. At the core, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to benefit others and to benefit the church. That's what he says in verse 16 and 17. He says, For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't even understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Like, this is an important tone uh, that I want you to pick up when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He compares it to, uh, to instruments. It, uh, it, it's the difference between what happens when Tony plays the guitar and I play the guitar. When Tony plays the guitar, you recognize what's happening. When I play the guitar, maybe not so much. Right? He compares it to a bugle calling soldiers to order. If someone playing this bugle doesn't know what they're doing, the soldiers won't know what to do with the sounds they hear. You see, real faith, real spirit, and, and I think this is one of the tests of the spirit, is, is just the simple question, is it helpful to others? Is it helpful? I did a, 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 a wedding in Pensacola last week. I know it's just one of the things I have to suffer from my job. Um, and I asked them in their, as these two made their, took the sacrament of marriage, made their sacred vows to each other, the marriage that I commissioned them with was not a self-serving kind of marriage, Right? But I think by definition, marriage is self-sacrificing. It isn't for just your benefit, but for the benefit of your partner and for the benefit of those around you. And I think the Holy Spirit exists in that same kind of space. Is it helpful to others? And verse 9 says, If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? you might as well be talking into empty space. Uh, a modern translation might be, you're just full of hot air. 
And I, I think this, there's, there's an important piece here, and this, it's just a little bit of a side note. There's an important piece here of, of sometimes our faith is way, way, way too um, selfish and way too general. Do you see this great push, this great compulsion of the Spirit to move us into relationship? And sometimes our faith is, is, is too general. We, we don't drill down enough or commit to, to enough or commit to others specifically. And so, so our faith is just kind of like showing up. It's kind of wandering and waiting. And, and like, have you ever felt like your, your faith or your experience is just talking into empty space? I think, I think there's a real warning to us about that. Like this real spirit-bornness has, has substance and richness and flavor and effectiveness. Verse 6 says, as we transition to the next gift, he said, dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, he says, that will be helpful. Verse 5, he says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Did you hear that? Greater than speaking in tongues is prophecy, unless someone interprets what you're saying, so that the whole church will be strengthened. All right, so maybe a few tentative hands about speaking in tongues. What's your experience with prophecy? Like the, the Aztecs or the, is it Nostradamus? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there are lots of prophecies out there about what's going to happen. Like, and most of us, maybe when we think about prophecy, we think about this, this future, like kind of broadcasting in bold strokes what's going to happen in, in some future place. But, but I want to I narrow down maybe your understanding of prophecy. This word in Scripture is, is really forth-telling. And it's not necessarily... Um, a specific moment in the future when you're going to win the lottery or you're going to die or I don't know. Um, but, but think of it foretelling as in telling the will of God or sharing the mind of God. Um, we might use the phrase, scripture uses the phrase sometimes of, uh, and, and I would include this, speaking the truth in what? I think, I think Paul would include that in this prophecy idea. Uh, we might compare it to preaching for sure. Um, you know, there, I think there are a couple of tests to uh, uh, every now and then occasionally someone will show up even here in Nashville or Franklin and, and claim to be a prophet. I don't know if you've seen this or experienced this or witnessed. And sometimes people will come to me and say, well, how do we know that this person really is a prophet? And I say, well, well let's test them. Let's test them. You know, and I think just off the cuff, there are a couple of simple tests of, is what they are saying as a prophet, is it consistent with what you know of Jesus and God's word? Let's start there. Well, if they claim to be a prophet and they say that, well, God told me it's okay for me to divorce my wife. Okay, well, maybe we should talk about this. 
right? Um, I think another good test of a prophet is, uh, do they want to be a prophet or not? Remember what we said, this whole, all of this stuff about the Holy Spirit is, is self-sacrificing, not self-serving. I think sometimes maybe we idolize this idea of prophet. This, you know, has this badge, this name on it. But I, I think if you look carefully in Scripture, most of the people that God chooses as prophets, major and minor prophets in your Old Testament, most of them weren't real thrilled with this idea. I mean, that, that may be saying it really mildly. They didn't want the job. And it wasn't for their benefit. Uh, in fact, sometimes the example of prophets that we have, it's, it's, uh, it's don't do what this prophet did. <laughs> so, I don't know. If someone claims to you uh, to be a prophet, maybe you can test it in, in those few ways, right? Um, but I think the important one is, is it helpful? Is what they have to say, is it helpful? Because Paul says that prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues for one simple reason. That prophecy has more potential to be helpful. Look what he says in verse 3, and I think this is really key for us. And, and listen to him saying this to, to a church, to a community meeting together. But he says, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. That word strengthen is, is to edify. It's like a putting together the pieces of a building. It, it's the act of building. And, and so he says, the, the prophet that's really helpful is building others up. And, and building them up, not just for their own ego, for their own self, but, but really forming and fashioning others into a dwelling place for God. Are you with me? So a prophet strengthens, but also encourages. The, that word is, um, lots of these, these kind of words have this, this, this very similar meaning. The word encourages is, is like close beside. Close beside. Who are you close beside right now? The prophet also has the ability to comfort. And here's that, here's that sense of closeness again. The word comfort means near speech or, or speaking tenderly to someone. I know we, we think of, maybe we think of prophecy sometimes as the guy on the, on the soapbox on the street corner with the bullhorn, right? We think of this big, loud broadcast to everyone. You know what I'm saying? Like to a mass audience. But if you look carefully at Paul and what he's telling this community at church together, he says, you know, prophecy is really this close thing that happens when you're close to someone else. It doesn't happen, I think, with a bullhorn, but I think the prophecy Paul speaks of happens more likely in a gentle whisper. It's what happens when I put my son to bed at night. Parents, you guys have this routine. All kids lose their mind before they go to bed. I don't know what it is. <laughs> lose it. 
Can I tell you just a totally random story? We were at this uh, this wedding in Pensacola, and our kids were with us. And uh, we were at this special dinner with all the families or at this dinner or whatever. And my son went to the bathroom and then came back in the living room where everyone was sitting without any pants or underwear on. That's my son. God love him. I was tucking Cannon in last night for bed. And uh, he's got this bunk bed. It's hard for me to get into. But I like, he gets in. I kind of cover him up. Then I kind of squeeze in there. And I loved it. You know, I just kind of cuddle up like right next to him. And he's almost, it's almost uncomfortable. And I, and I place my head right next to his. And before he goes to sleep and before I leave the room, I always tell him the same thing. I, I, I always say, I'm so proud of you. You are my son and, and I'm so grateful to be your dad, and I love you. And last night, this is a true story, last night, I said, I love you, and Cannon rolled over, and he looked at me, and he said, but I love mommy. <laughs> it's true. So I want, you to get, I want you to get this picture, and don't forget the context. Paul is speaking to the church. He this kind of prophecy he's talking about comes in a whisper. It, it's, not, it's not impersonal. It's not, it's not general. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that because there is. But the kind of prophecy that, that, that Paul is advocating that as a part of the normal worship service is deeply relational, is deeply connected. It, and it happens up close it's not done with a bullhorn or loudspeaker, but gentle whisper. You know, when you whisper, people lean in. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're different, but you don't normally whisper in a stranger's ear. But you whisper in the ear of the person you love and you care about and are, are close to. You're interested, you whisper in the ear of the person that you're committed to whether they listen to what you say or not. This kind of prophecy, pay, pay attention to what he says. It gets in close, and it speaks the truth of power, and the truth and power of God for the purpose of building that person up. But there's more. And I don't want to miss this part because it's really important. In verse 24 and verse 25, here's what he says. He says, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, he says they will be, what are those three words? Convicted of sin. And they'll be judged by what you say. And as they listen, listen to what he says, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. That's some powerful stuff. You see that ability to draw others in close, to be in, in relationship with them, to speak to them in ways that are edifying and comforting and encouraging. Like though for Paul, he says, that's the moment that the spirit working through you has the power to convict others. It's not from a microphone on stage, but from the relationships you have together. 
those moments, that the power of prophecy in those moments have the power to convict people of their sin. And then, then I love the next part that he says. He says, you know, the real spirit, real spiritual gifts always expose our lies to the truth of God. Did you see that? What does it say? Their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God because you just spoke to them in a gentle whisper in a way that like changed them. Isn't that the work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this great work of Jesus? Like, right, that's what it's here for, to finish what Jesus started. And so, of course, it convicts us of sin and exposes the lies that we've been believing and, and, and exposes us to the truth of God at the same time. And then the last part, and maybe it's my favorite part, it says that they will recognize that God is truly here among us. Not because we sang songs that you really like. Not because the lighting was perfect or the speaker was the best. Do you see our, do you see our churches focusing on all of these things? When Paul says the power to convict and change lives rests with who? Just the preacher? Now the spirit-filled body of Christ. Empowered. I love that. That was Gary's teaching last week. If you, if you weren't here last week, he finished the second part of 1 Corinthians 12, which says, hey, you are all in this thing together. You're, each of you are, are gifted by the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's not a gift for you. I love in the picture that, that, that Paul writes and, and, and talks about a picture of a church meeting, a picture of a worship service together. Do you see that in the service that he's talking back uh, about, there's no one in the audience? Do you see that? There's no audience. In, in Paul's description of this church meeting, n- no one is there just to show up and be anonymous. No one is there just to show up and check another Sunday off their list. But every single person is spirit-filled. They're, 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 not, they're, they're not an audience. They're participants. And I, know one, I think one of the things Gary said last week was, was be a part, but do your part. For Paul, this worship meeting, this church gathering was, was filled not with consumers, but with contributors. Do you see how that's a challenge? I mean, that's, that's a real message for our church culture today, right? Did you come here this morning just expecting to be fed, did, like, like newborn babies expecting someone to spoon feed you? Or did you come here with the expectation that the Holy Spirit was going to use you to convict lives, to encourage, to empower, to change, to bring about God's kingdom here, now? That in this space, even in this room, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to convict others of sin You have the power to bring others into the full presence of God. I think that's a really good thing. So I want to give you a couple more words. 
in a minute, well, I'm going to dismiss you to communion, but I'm going to give you some homework before you go to communion. I know you love this. School just started. Get, get used to it. In verse 12, Paul says this. He says, and the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, so far, maybe the first piece of your homework is to really ask, are you eager? That's a, that's a whole part of this Spirit-born teaching series is, is like, do you really even have an awareness on any kind of regular basis that the Spirit of God is a real thing, that it's here and it wants to use you? I, th- I think that's a great place to start. Um, the Corinthians were full aware that the spirit world existed. I'm not sure that, uh, that all of our Christians in today's world are fully aware that the spirit world exists. Or at least maybe we don't live like it. So the first thing for you is to be eager. What would that look like for you? What would have to change in your day and your schedule to really recognize that there is a spirit and wants to use you? How can you increase not just your awareness of God's movement in this world, in this place, but really become, come to a place that you're eager for him to use you? Mostly if I said, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to use you today, you're probably going to feel terrified, right? If we can move from that fear to an eagerness, an excitement. He says, since you are eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, here's the one I want you to focus on. Seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Big statement. The real evidence of the Spirit of God in us is the benefit it produces in the lives of those around us. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. The real evidence of the Spirit of God in us is the benefit it produces, not just in us, but in the lives of those around us. So here's your homework. Straight from verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 14. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to, to do what? What's the purpose? Than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Let me ask you, how many words did you speak this week? I had a teenager that uh, had, I think, 17,000 text messages in a month. Do the math. It's crazy. How many words do you think you spoke this week? How many were spirit-filled? Of all of those words that came out of you, how many were spirit-filled and how many were helpful. So if you haven't guessed, your homework, and I'm going to encourage you to do it now, is to listen to the Spirit. And on your way to communion, maybe you can do it with the person that's sitting right to your, to your right or your left. 
I just want you to share five words that are understandable and helpful. Right? Five words. And I'm just going to, in just a minute, I'm going to say a prayer, and, and there'll be a, this, is, this will be a great place for maybe you to just stop for a few minutes and listen and meditate. And, and maybe you just ask that simple prayer of, 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 of God, what is, what is the message that you want me to share? Maybe it's six words, okay? Don't, don't be <laughs> too legalistic about this, right? Like, what's the message? I, and, and what I'm going to do is, after I say this prayer and dismiss you to communion, I'm just going to create exactly what, what Paul was talking about. I'm gonna, I want to create a space for you to speak into each other's lives. If it's somebody you're close to and they're not going to hit you, it's okay to whisper in their ear. What are five words of prophecy? I know that's, that freaks you out. What are five words that God has given you to share with somebody else? I'll tell you a true story. Two weeks ago when we started the Spirit Born series, I was standing outside in our lobby, and, and maybe this does freak you out, and I don't know what else to, I don't know how else to call it, but we had two different people at two different times come up and put hands on me, and they just simply said, the Holy Spirit has a word for me to, to share with you. Twice. I was prophesied over two weeks ago here. That same power exists in you. In fact, for Paul, he says, this is, he says, now this is the good stuff of the church. All right, so you know what you're going to do? Are you feeling nervous already? How many of you are already counting words on your finger? It's okay. It's okay. I know we're rookies at this, but, but, but we can do this. Um, simple words that I would maybe say to you, and, and if you need help, start with Scripture. But uh, uh, here's a, a five-word primer. God is with you So I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss us to a time of communion. Don't feel the need to, to stand up and rush to the communion stations. Just take a moment, be still, listen for those words from the Holy Spirit, and then share five words with somebody on your way to communion. Can you do this? Believe in yourself. I believe in you. Let me pray together. Father God, here we are before your word. Father God, sometimes it uh, exposes us and makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But God, we trust your spirit and we trust this word and, and in, in it we, we find guidance and, and guidance today specifically for our time together, guidance for your church. And so Father God, uh, as we come together to celebrate a time of communion, a, a time where we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, we, we enter into the new life that he promised and he offers to each and every one of us. So Father God, I ask that, uh, that you would fill us with five words. Five words of helpfulness. God, I pray that the words that, that you give to each person here would be spirit-filled 
Maybe they're words we've been holding on to or clinging on to. Maybe there's been way too many negative words or unhelpful words coming out of us. But Father God, we, we ask, and, and, we, and we know and we trust that, that your spirit knows exactly what we need to say. What, happened, what would happen, Father God, if we, if we just trusted our voice and our mouth to you in this moment? Father God, may our words serve to strengthen and to comfort. May our words come from up close. May our words, Father God, draw, Father God, draw others into worship. God, may our words, may your words through us convict of sin and expose some of the lies that we've been believing. Father God, most importantly, may our words speak the truth of God. And may your presence be felt. Father God, we love you. Bless us as we move into this space of communion and blessing. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,